Propaniacs. Welcome to Propaniacs, a King of the Hill podcast. I'm your host, Melton McMainerberry, and today's episode is brought to you by Strickland Propane, service with a hug. Today, we shatter our rose-colored glasses and lay bare the truth we've known all along about Season 3, Episode 3, Peggy's Headache. In the first act of this episode, some general themes are established. I recognize two. The first is something like insight or awareness, and how those things are seen or not seen in various characters, and how that presence or absence drives their actions, even how those dynamics may change over time through the course of the episode. The second is what I'm going to call inconvenient truth. Little details, little realities that push against our boxes, push against our comfort zones that we don't necessarily always know what to do with. We're going to see how this community deals with those types of things. So several things happen in the first scene of this episode that set the table right off the bat for those themes we just mentioned. There are three characters in this first scene, Dale, Peggy, and John Redcord, and I think it's worthwhile to look at each of the interactions between them. First, Dale and Peggy briefly exchange a little morning hello. Nothing much to that. But second, John Redcorn walks up to the Gribble's house and passes a clearly oblivious Dale who is leaving the house for work. John Redcorn is slightly awkward and caught off guard a little bit. Maybe, maybe there's something off with the timing of their schedules that morning or something. John Redcorn expresses that with his, uh, Dale reaction at meeting Dale unexpectedly. But Dale, on the other hand, thinks nothing of this encounter, even though he just triple-locked the front door as he was leaving. And the symbolism is not exactly subtle here, as John Redcorn immediately unlocks the door directly behind him. So finally, the most interesting interaction to me is the one between John Redcorn and Peggy, which is pretty nuanced. John Redcorn is definitely caught off guard when Peggy greets him. But why? It could be that John Redcorn is arriving at an odd hour, as we kind of mentioned earlier with his encounter with Dale, and didn't expect Peggy to be out getting the paper. That's probably true, but it could also be that what caught John Redcorn off guard wasn't that Peggy was there and saw him, but that she spoke. If Peggy knows about John Redcorn and Nancy, which has to be John Redcorn's and our working assumption at this point, wouldn't she have just looked the other way and pretended not to have seen him. John Redcord's invention of an excuse shows he wasn't expecting to need one, as he must know that by then, everyone in the neighborhood, except Dale, of course, would have to know about him and Nancy Gribble, right? So his excuse is less to cover his tracks than it is to avoid the awkwardness for both him and Peggy of talking about why he's really there. But at the same time, if that's the case... Why did Peggy speak up and put him in that awkward situation to begin with? John Redcorn must have been asking himself the same thing, but he doesn't have time to tease it out, process it all. His best bet is just to get in the house, pull the shade, and crank up bad company as quickly as possible. It's also the hint here that Peggy obviously fakes familiarity with the new healing remedy that John Redcorn mentions. But that could also be a red herring, right? Maybe what really happened is that Peggy just slipped and absentmindedly said hi and was also just trying to deflect from the awkwardness of discussing why John Redcorn is really there. We are one minute and 13 seconds into this episode counting the theme and the die has already been cast. As to us, the viewer, like John Redcorn, it's not totally clear what's going on inside Peggy's head right now. 
and how it relates to her awareness of an inconvenient truth that no one is particularly interested in lifting up the rug to expose. Well, Peg has gotten her paper and gone back into the kitchen, and she is reading these musings in the Arlen Bystander, which is a great name for the Arlen paper, by the way. And the musings are by a terrific King of the Hill name, Doyle Harcavy. So again, something like awareness or insight is at play here. As Peggy and Hank chuckle at Harcavy's little observations on life, but the observations are like really obvious, straightforward, surface-level tidbits, like, for example, the fact that coffee is good for helping us wake up in the morning. When is insight not really insightful? What is it about these musings that makes people, at least these two people, Hank and Peggy, enjoy them? Because insight worth sharing needs to be something not obvious to everyone else, right? And these musings don't seem to fit that description. Hey, keep your comments about this podcast to yourself. I hear you out there. We actually had something similar to this in my hometown paper. It was a regular column that was little tidbits presented as like non sequiturs. It wasn't exactly amusing. It was more like little tidbits about the happenings of the town, like little news things or events. But I can relate to this overall idea in a local rural paper. It's a real thing. Speaking of non sequiturs, why exactly is Hank so against Peggy taking this musings column over? Maybe something about his comfort and routine and shattering that or disrupting that. Or could there be something more sinister, sexist going on? At any rate, in telling her she's not good enough to do this, way to believe in and support your wife, Hank. So, you know, the episode writers must have had a lot of fun coming up with Peggy's musings. It goes by pretty fast, so let me save you the trouble of pausing. Here are the musings that Peggy has come up with and rejected and scratched through over the past two-plus hours as she started to work on the musings that she will present to take over Doyle Harcavy's column. Here they are. Lots of cookies will make you fat. Thank goodness for plexiglass. Sunburn. Too much of a good thing. And finally, nothing is dirt cheap because dirt is free. No, it's not, Piggy. No, it's not. All right, don't ask me how any of these are worse than the ones from Doyle Harcavy. Actually, I thought the plexiglass one was pretty solid. Anyway, so Peggy is frustrated and goes over to Nancy's house. What on earth is Peggy thinking, barging in on her neighbor in her bedroom like that? Our theme of awareness, and specifically Peggy's lack thereof, is certainly on display here, especially as she sits on the bed with Nancy and sets up a healing session with John Redcorn after finding him with Nancy together in the bedroom. And now the interaction between Peggy and John Redcorn is similar to the one earlier that morning, but has a little bit of a different color. Because if you look at John Redcorn's expression as he's animated, he is annoyed. And he doesn't even try with the excuse this time, right? He just says, we were just back here. But it's still not obvious what he thinks, right? He could be annoyed because Peggy, knowing good and well what they were doing back there, barged in anyway and interrupted them. Or... He could be annoyed that Peggy's total obliviousness has interrupted his routine once again. John Raycorn's confusion is evident as he asks Nancy exactly what kind of game Peggy is playing with all this. And I love the question because to someone as duplicitous and suspicious as John Redcorn has been behaving, someone acting as straightforward and naive as Peggy and trusting as she is in this scene would feel like a serious threat because of her unpredictability, right? It's like Gaylord Perry's pitching style. 
You don't necessarily have to doctor the ball every time. It's an advantage just to have hitters always thinking that you're doctoring the ball. But as the viewer, especially with all the context so far about lack of insight, lack of situational awareness, it's getting pretty clear to us and to Nancy, as she explains to John Redcorn, that Peggy is even more oblivious to the obvious in this episode than she was in Peggy's turtle song. And that's saying something. But Peggy does have a healing session with John Redcorn. The interior of his mobile home that he practices out of and lives in is perfectly grounding. And Peggy even acknowledges this fact, kind of, for, for however in touch John Redcorn is with the traditions of his ancestors and so on. As we saw in the Order of the Straight Arrow, he has to buy little inexpensive trinkets from the mall to decorate his modest home, just like everyone else. And he's a bachelor, right? So it maybe shouldn't surprise us that these little trinkets are eclectic and not really in a good way. They're even, dare I say it, it's a bit tacky. So in the always grounded King of the Hill universe, New Age healers give massages in chairs from Brookstone and listen to Leanne Rhymes. Maybe he listens to Nashville anthems. Who knows? And again, our awareness theme is on full display. It seems to be more awkward to John Redcorn now that he knows that Peggy doesn't know about him and Nancy. It feels like if he could just clear the air, they could both relax. But ironically, Peggy's lack of of awkwardness due to her lack of awareness is making John Redcorn feel all the more awkward due to his awareness. Pretty nice playing with the theme there, King of the Hill. So over in the alley, Hank has turned the corner in his support for Peggy. He now is very supportive as a husband, really, not just sarcastically. And I'm not sure what exactly changed his mind, but good for him. And now we're reminded of the only other person in the neighborhood who is unaware of Nancy and John Redcorn besides Peggy, and that is Dale Gribble, the person most affected by it. So the awkward dance in this scene is gold, as the more Dale talks, the more we and the rest of the guys cringe. And Bill and Boomhauer had this responsibility to Hank to try to calm Hank down about Peggy's visiting John Redcorn. And they have to do that without acknowledging why this would even be a concern, because if they did, they would betray Nancy's affair to an oblivious Dale. It's brilliant, and it raises that other big idea in this episode, and that is, what do you do with an inconvenient truth? Everyone has been sweeping this inconvenient truth under the rug for 13 years, right? Why? Read charitably, we can say they're doing this for the sake of saving Dale, and not to mention Joseph, from major heartbreak. Read a little less charitably, they're doing this simply because it's so unpleasant that no one wants to talk about it. And maybe it's both, right? But we'll soon see that the latter is at least part of what's going on. It's not just about Dale's feelings. Oh man, is this next scene cringy? Is Peggy, with absolutely no idea that she's implying she had a sexual encounter with John Redcorn, describes her blissful, extremely satisfying healing session to Hank. And then Peggy amps up this theme of insight or awareness by being explicit that she's accurately reading Hank's anger in this scene as her newfound reporter's instinct. And she's parlaying this insight directly into amusing. Actually, it's a pretty good musing. <laughs> it's a pretty good one. If you can't be insightful, at least be punny. Hmm. Better write that down. Okay. So to wrap the first act up, Hank ultimately steers Peggy toward the truth about Nancy and John Redcorn, and by extension, Joseph. And we see the extreme reluctance Hank has 
to state the problem explicitly. In fact, he never does. Peggy figures it out for herself. It took Hank taking her right to the brink of the truth, but it was Peggy who took the last step into the water. Hank did not push her. And this is what I was talking about a moment ago, with this neighborhood's preference for sweeping this truth under the rug, that it's as much about their just not wanting to talk about it as it is about not hurting Dale as well as Joseph. Because what we see here is that they don't even talk to each other about it when Dale and Joseph are nowhere in sight. Hank didn't even know that Peggy didn't know. Why? Because in 13 years, the two of them have never mentioned it to each other, despite its always being right in front of them. And presumably Hank, who is pretty aware of his surroundings, figured it out right away, certainly once Joseph was born. I mean, if Bill knew, we can safely assume that Hank knew as well pretty early on, right? So here we see what happens when this insular, idyllic, to them, community is challenged by an unpleasant reality that it can't deny. What does it do? Well, it simply looks the other way. Because no community is perfect, right? This isn't Mayberry. It's real life. Okay, it isn't real life. It's a cartoon. But within the fiction of the show, it's real life. And real life is far messier below the surface than the version of it that we choose to disclose publicly. Such that even blatantly obvious contradictions are able to remain unacknowledged if acknowledging them would threaten the goodness of this environment that their identities are so heavily wrapped up in. Well, we proceed on to Act 2, and we now fully know where everyone stands in terms of this awareness of Nancy and John Redcorn. Peggy now knows. Nancy and John Redcorn don't yet know that she knows. Hank knows that she didn't know, but now he knows that she knows. Dale still doesn't know anything. Everyone else knows everything, and no one wants to talk about it. And we may not get the sense that this community at large is interested in altering its approach to this inconvenient truth, but how will the alteration in Peggy's particular awareness affect her personal approach? That's what we're going to start seeing here in Act 2. So, first off, Peggy has no choice now but to wrestle with this new insight that Nancy is sleeping with John Redcorn. Do you know how long it took me to say it out loud? I got all the way into Act 2 here before even I was willing to say exactly what's going on here. I just kept talking about it as the situation with Nancy and John Redcorn, the truth about Nancy and John Redcorn. So maybe I can't blame these people for being so reluctant to speak about it themselves. Hank also now has to deal with his awareness of Peggy's new awareness and of her previous lack thereof. As he says, I thought you knew. How could you not know? I can't say that's a charitable way to talk to your wife, but it is hard to understand how she could have missed something this obvious. But, She did, and now the freshness of her awareness poses a major threat to the stability of Hank's world, and he therefore urges her to slow down, take a deep breath, and ease into the comfort of the rug under which this information had up until now been safely swept. So you gotta love how the sliding glass door in Hank and Peggy's kitchen grounds indignation. We saw this in, I believe it was The Unbearable Blindness of Laying, where the particular character of that door thwarts its use in righteous anger, as it either won't slam solidly or like you want it to, or in this episode, is easy to mistake for an open doorway and try to walk right through it, <laughs> as Peggy does. There is a new alteration, though, in the awareness dynamic here. As Peggy 
does go through the doorway and indignantly challenges Nancy. And Nancy now knows that she knows. And the thunder rolls. What? But Nancy can kind of live with this, as it doesn't seem really to cross Nancy's mind that Peggy might do something that just feels completely out of the question for this community, based on everything we've said so far. And that's that she might actually tell Dale the truth. So now we reprise the first scene, but with these new awareness dynamics at play. Because now, rather than a brief kind of rote hello between Peggy and Dale, Peggy reaches out to Dale with a warmth that is entirely out of character for their relationship. Not that Dale reacts any differently, but Peggy certainly acts differently. Dale and Redcorn interact again. Their interaction is essentially unchanged from the first scene. John Redcorn, uh, Dale. But Peggy's interaction with John Redcorn shows that their relationship has changed. She knows, and he seems to know that she knows. But John Redcorn still has no more desire to talk about this than he did before. So he escapes into the house, and to whom must Peggy turn with this heavy burden that she's holding inside? Men! She goes to men, and when men finds out that Peggy didn't already know about Nancy and John Redcorn, she utters one of my favorite King of the Hill lines ever. Who I tell? Who I tell? Oh, I email Khan. A little hint of modern for the late 90s. Technology creeps onto Rainy Street in this very grounded way of just being a medium for mundane neighborhood gossip. And I call it mundane, but that's just it, right? It's really not mundane that Nancy is openly cheating on Dale and has been for many years. But it's so old hat and has been under the rug for so long in this community that everyone except Peggy has long processed it and chosen to ignore it. But how much have these new awareness dynamics shaken up or at least threatened normalcy in this community? Because the guys, Sans Dale, are drinking Alamo, not in the alley, but in front of Bill's house, the side away from the alley, if you will, as far from their normal spot as possible. And they look it too. There's great animation here as Hank's disconcertment with this new lack of stability is written all over his face. It's so bad that the guys are having to talk about Nancy and John Redcorn out loud. I love the five-second time limit Hank places on it. It's like a five-second rule for pulling stuff out from under the rug. And you can feel what a big and uncomfortable step this is for these people. I mean, can't we just talk about sports or something instead? Do we really have to talk about this? I kind of get where they're coming from. But meanwhile, Dale and Peggy are continuing this series of interactions they have in this episode. And Dale has no idea what to do with this new warmth that's being shown to him from Peggy. This helps illustrate just how entrenched all these relational dynamics are in this community. As Peggy wrestles with this new knowledge and tries to act as unhypocritically as she can, and we see that it's not that simple. This inertia she is butting up against is strong, and assuming she is able to budget, we have to ask what collateral damage might ensue from the fall. As Peggy works through this, she is also working through her musings. And I love Peggy's confession here to Luann and Bobby in the kitchen that Doyle Harcavey really wasn't all that good. Maybe there's some envy there as Peggy is feeling the pressure for sure of taking this celebrated position over. But I prefer to think of it as a newly aware Peggy applying her new awareness to other things in this world besides Nancy and John Redcorn. Naive Peggy had laughed at Doyle Harcavey's musing that his kids could be difficult to deal with. Aware Peggy realizes that the whole world is difficult to deal with. Life's short, then you die. That's Peggy's new musing. And Bobby here even ties our two themes together. Thank you for that, Bobby. By describing Peggy's confession as more like a revelation of another truth that was previously too inconvenient to this community to talk about. That again, Doyle Harcavey really isn't all that. The Emperor 
has no clothes, folks. And now the second act of this episode ends with Peggy making explicit the threat of doing what everyone must have thought up until now was unfathomable, telling Dale the truth. So now in Act 3, there is some real suspense here, as Peggy has gone from the laughing stock of the episode to the person with all the power. What will happen if she actually does tell Dale? And as viewers, which side are we supposed to be on? I think we have to say that it's not totally clear. We may default to truth, right? But the episode has raised pretty heavy stakes on the side of keeping this inconvenient truth safely under the rug. It seems that not only might Dale and Joseph be harmed by the truth here, but something deeper, not less than the fiber of this community. As the community's ability to deal with threats like this to its idyllic identity precisely by not dealing with them seems to be a part of its very substance. So we start to see this suspense as Peggy's indignation, expressed in musings now, of course, has only increased after this cringy softball at bat by John Redcorn. So this threat of her revealing the truth Dale is feeling pretty real. And Hank desperately tries to keep the cover-up alive by drowning Dale's voice out with the tools we often see him take refuge in. So he must be feeling the threat. Well, the issue comes to a head with all of the stakes the episode is attached to it as Piggy storms over to the Gribble's yard and in the climax of this progression of the dynamics of all of their encounters in this episode, Peggy confronts Dale while both Nancy and Hank helplessly look on. Ironically, Peggy's initial beating around the bush with Dale in this confrontation saves the day as this buys just enough time for Joseph to show up and remind Peggy that the stakes include him, a fact we've been acknowledging all along, but which the episode, through the rest of the characters, has really held back on in order to set up this payoff. And Dale sums up all of the rich interactions between him and Peggy in this episode with his send-off to her, poor, naive Peggy. Because while she is no longer naive, he is still blissfully ignorant of the inconvenient truth that Peggy has mercifully to him swept safely back under the rug. And Peggy's uncharacteristic acceptance of this jab that Dale delivers to her shows something like maturity in Peggy as she has turned a corner of awareness, it seems, even if the community really hasn't. That fact then is emphasized by the close-on-the-counts-in horseshoes that you see in the background of this scene as she walks away. And finally, the button on this episode seals Peggy's new place in the awareness dynamics of the community with this dialogue between Peggy and Hank that is full of what they don't say. And as they walk away together, they literally let the sleeping dog lie. But let's you and I give it one more poke. I like this episode. It did remind me a lot of Peggy's turtle song, which was a solid eight goober smooches for me. I liked Peggy's journey from obliviousness to awareness in this episode and the power and relational dynamics that this metamorphosis stirred up. It was also funny. The musings were all gold. It was complex, and it ended well. I'm going to rate this one just one rung lower than Peggy's Turtle Song at seven relaxing, stress-free goober spooches. So listeners, now we have to lift up the rug of Rainy Street and sweep this episode back under it. If you have feedback, follow-up, or anything else you'd like to talk about, please email me at meltonmcmainerberry at gmail.com or find me on Instagram. And don't forget to tune into my other podcast, Nashville Anthems, dissecting 80s and 90s country music. Thanks for listening, and they all lived happily ever after. (laughs) 